architects and AEC professionals, it's time to connect, grow, and redefine your professional journey. Imagine a place where you're part of a vibrant community, accessing resources tailored to your needs, and earning continuing education credits effortlessly. That place is here at Gable Media. Join our legacy membership, your exclusive pass to a world of opportunities. With instant access to all our CE courses and groundbreaking content, you're set to excel. And here's the game changer. Lock in your legacy membership at an unbeatable introductory price of just $29 per year, forever. Plus, enjoy contests, events, and unique freebies. But hurry, I hear this special pricing won't last long. Spots in our legacy membership are limited and filling up fast. Follow the link in the show notes to be part of something groundbreaking with Gable Media. My name is Mark Arlapage, and I'm joined by Patrick McLaney, FAIA, and former CEO of the international architecture firm HOK. This is Build Smart. After his time at HOK, Patrick, as he puts it, has been repurposed. Now, as the chairman of Building Smart International, Patrick will outline a new strategy for the building industry and so much more. You'll find that there's a lesson in every episode. Welcome back to Build Smart. In our last episode, we spoke with Patrick to get a sense of what this season of Build Smart is all about his goals for the season, who will benefit from listening, and what listeners will learn. He shared some of his frustrations with architectural practice, and he also noted a chance meeting that would lead him down a path to the founding of Building Smart International, or BSI, and the bigger mission to reimagine the building industry. Now, before we get into that fascinating story of BSI, you should have a better understanding of the challenges that the building industry faces and why BSI would eventually come into existence. And that is where we pick up with Patrick okay, today. Patrick, this season we're going to be calling this season of Build Smart Reimagining the Building Industry. Why are we doing that? What's wrong with the way things are today? Well, Mark, in a word, it's broken. We architects are being squeezed out of what we do best, which is design. And uh, that began to bother me shortly after I graduated from college and, and went to work as an architect, it seemed so difficult and challenging and hard to get good design into the work. There, there seemed to be so many things working against that. And it started me on this journey of working to understand why that was so. Any architect goes to school because they love design right. and they want to do great design work. And so what is wrong and what can we do about it is more importantly. So this, this session is about what's wrong with the building industry. And I've broken it into three big things that's preventing us from being good practitioners of design. They each start with C, so it's easy to remember. Complexity, conflict, and communication. Complexity. If you go back a hundred years, to the early part of the 1900s. The Industrial Revolution was already underway, but mostly buildings were still constructed pretty much like they were constructed for the last thousand years. We had buildings made of brick, buildings made of stone, buildings made of wood or combinations of those. And the building guilds of old 
that existed in Europe in the Middle Ages and in the Renaissance had been replaced with carpenters' unions and masons' unions. But even the unions had pride in their work, and there was an ethos about the way that they worked. Masons used to work from locally quarried stone, and they would fashion the stone into blocks. That's what the youngest masons got to do. The apprentices got to sit there all day and chip boulders into shapes so that the master mason could then tell the young masons what shape it was and where it fit on that wall or that column that they were making. Buildings were pretty simple then. By the time I was around, we had running water and we had electricity and we had rudimentary heating, no, no air conditioning yet. My grandfather, who was a carpenter, used to build wood windows to put into his houses. He was a home builder and he would build the windows in his shop from pine actually, and uh, with some rudimentary power tools. Once they were installed in the house, then the local glass company would come and measure them and put the glass in. Well, when's the last time anybody saw something like that happening? Yeah. In my lifetime, buildings have become much more complex. Instead of just stone, brick, or wood, now we have this dizzying array of thousands of choices of materials. Building things like that on site has now been replaced by making things in factories and bringing them to the job site by truck. Once you're up out of the mud, once the foundations are in, the contractor's main job is to coordinate the work of the subs. And as time has progressed, the subs have become more subs with specialties of all kinds. Uh, in addition to mechanical now, we have and electrical, we have low voltage and we have IT and special systems and fire protection and things that didn't exist uh, even when I started in the practice. And the materials, uh, my gosh, the materials that we're using now that are all specialized things. And in fact, architects need the advice of materials reps to tell them what the properties are and what the characteristics are of the materials or the products that they're using. The art of construction has changed. So the complexity that confronts the architect who is designing and specifying has become much more of a challenge. The contractor, instead of managing a few subs, might have hundreds of subcontractors and thousands of suppliers. And in big buildings, Mark, it's pretty easy to get to more than one million pieces or parts that go into a big building. That's not one stone on top of another anymore. That's one big complex assemblage more like assembling an automobile in an assembly line. Instead, the contractor has got a, a stationary assembly at the job site. Buildings, Patrick, have also got more precise. And that also adds to the complexity. Because of the science behind building, um, we have to assemble buildings in a very precise way for them to perform at the levels that they're expected to perform today. Yes, and in fact, I think we all love old buildings, but old buildings were drafty. Yeah. And cold in the winter and damp. The science that we all use these days and we're grateful for has allowed our buildings to be much tighter and much more like an automobile than buildings of old. And I want to add one more piece to that complexity puzzle. Again, when I was a young architect 50 plus years ago, we had a building code. And a building code was about two things and two things only. It was about fire safety and life safety. How to exit the building safely and how to keep the building from burning down too fast 
so the fire department would have a chance to get there and put the fire out. And now, just think about it, Mark. We now have various safety codes. OSHA didn't exist that governs the work itself at the job site. All kinds of environmental regulations and green regulations. And they're put out and published not just by one governmental agency, but all of them. So there's complexity in the rules and regulations that we have to follow in designing and building. So complex buildings, complex materials, and complex codes and requirements, conflicts between codes and between issuing agencies all have to get sorted out. This all adds to the pressure on the architect and the contractor to perform and do what we were hired to do originally but I don't think many people know this, but we're not getting paid extra money to manage that complexity. Yeah, We're still expected to do the work within the fee that we have uh, that we're able to negotiate. And that complexity eats into the time that the architect could be spending on thinking more deeply about design. So those are good changes and they make for better buildings, but the burden on the designer is greater than ever because of the complexity. Right. So how do we manage that complexity is, is part of the this series. Certainly a complex industry that we are part of, and it's only getting more complex, right? Every day it gets more complex. So what's the next big issue that we're dealing with? Well, the next one is conflict. You know, if you're managing complexity, what you really want and need is everybody to be on the same page, on the same team, helping each other to manage the complexity together. And we don't have that in our traditional design, bid, build environment for getting buildings constructed. For those of you who may not know, design, bid, build is a method or process to complete a project. In the building industry, there are several methods, but the three primary methods are design, build, integrated project delivery, and design, bid, build which has become known as the traditional delivery method. And for this conversation, we'll focus on the design bid build, which as its name identifies, has three clearly defined phases. Phase one, design. A building owner contracts with the architect and the appropriate design consultants to develop all aspects of the building design, which is advantageous to understand costs before beginning construction. Phase two, bid. The approved drawings are made available to general contractors who, after consulting with their appropriate subcontractors, will provide a proposal. The intent is to show that they are right for the job, define how they'll execute the work, and the fixed costs to do so. The owner can then select their preferred general contractor, but this is also the opportunity for them to modify the project, put it on hold, or cancel it altogether. Phase 3. Build Construction begins with the expectation that the building design will not change, and the contractor has full control to execute the construction of the design as efficient as possible. This technique of having the architect and the contractor separate has uh, very old roots. If you go back 500 years to the building guilds, the architects were really the guild leaders. They were the people who had the most experience with how to build with stone or wood or glass or brick. And the guild masters were in effect, de facto, they were the master builders. They had accumulated a lifetime of knowledge 
And the younger members of the guild were the ones that actually did the work. So guild leaders were called master builders. The architecture title came later at about the Renaissance. They began to separate themselves from guilds. That led to a culmination actually in the mid 1800s where the architects began to form themselves into societies. The American Institute of Architects, AIA, was founded by an architect named Thomas Walter. Thomas Walter designed the dome for the U.S. Capitol building, and he did it as part of a design competition authorized by Congress. His was selected, but he didn't have any part in the construction. Congress authorized a general contractor to build the dome. So Thomas Walter and, and the general contractor eventually joined the, the AGC, the Association of General Contractors. So we have two entities, the designer and the builder, who should be natural partners and who were during the guild days, were now formally separated, each with their own society. And uh, as a young architect, I can remember when I started to be bothered by the difficulty of designing, I went to my local AIA meetings and thought maybe I could find some answers there. And what I found was a bunch of architects in the room complaining about contractors that they didn't care about design, they only cared about price or schedule, or complaining about owners not paying them enough fee to allow the architects to be more thoughtful about design. And so the answers weren't going to be found there. And I dare say, if there are contractors listening, and I hope there are, if you went to your Association of General Contractors meeting, you probably heard something similar complaining about the architects. So why are the architect and the contractor on opposite sides of the fence? Why aren't we on one team? The more I've thought about this, Mark, the more obvious it seems to me that, you know, if you're an owner and you hire an architect and we sign a contract for design with an owner, and then you hire a low bid contractor and you sign a contract with the contractor, you now have two contracts with two different entities who are supposed to collaborate to build one building. Well, what happens is if something goes wrong, pretty soon you have conflict and you have finger pointing. And eventually, if things really get bad, you have insurance companies and lawyers and maybe judges that intervene. And so instead of architects and contractors collaborating to solve problems, we put it in the hands of people who don't design or build anything. Insurance companies and lawyers and judges makes no sense. If you were a rich person, you wanted your own airplane. Would you even think of going out and hiring an airplane or aircraft designer, having them do a design and then put it out for bid to a low bid factory? No. No. I mean, I wouldn't fly in it. Neither would you. What you would do is you would go to Boeing or one of the airplane uh, manufacturers and say, I need a custom jet for my business and here are my specs. But they wouldn't customize the shape of the wings or the tail or the, the flying parts. That's their business. They might customize the cushiony chair that you have inside of it. Other industries have found ways to combine design and build without sacrificing great design. And usually people stop me at this point and say, well, hang on a second. The aircraft manufacturers and the automobile makers and all the rest of the manufacturers, they can afford to lavish attention on design because they build a thousand or a million of it. That's true. But aren't they actually just assembling components that are built and supplied by suppliers and a supply chain? Aren't we more alike than not alike? Every building that I know has windows and doors. 
they all have to get specified. So that part of building design is kind of routine. You have to pick the right windows and the right doors, but every building has windows and doors. And every building I know has walls and floors and ceilings. And if you go through that list, I would say to you that buildings are more alike one to the next than they are different. They might look different. They might have a different function, but a lot of the things that are inside of them are the same. And it's our job, if we master this process, our job is to get the best out of each design opportunity, but still make the parts that are routine, like the stairs and the windows and the walls, all as up-to-date and as proper and as well-designed and, and installed as we can possibly make them. In order to build smart, you need to operate intelligently. If you feel frustrated wrangling all your spreadsheets to get a clear view of where your projects stand today, or you're tired of staring at poorly designed software that's just slowing you down, Monograph is here to help. Designed by architects for architects, the Monograph platform allows you to track your firm's time, projects, budgets, invoices, and payments all in real time. With their innovative visualization tool, MoneyGant, you can immediately see whether you're under or over budget. Need to easily adjust your team's time week to week? Their tool resource allows you to reallocate your team's time and track its impact on your remaining budget. Visit monograph.com today to see why hundreds of architecture firms call Monograph a game changer. How familiar are you with the hidden forces shaping our world? Learn about the spaces you occupy every day with Spaces Podcast, a journey through the design, construction, and the impact of our evolving environments. Hi, I'm Demetrius Lynch, host of Spaces, and I'm thrilled to take you on a ride through the intersections of environment, politics, culture, and economy. Join me and leading industry professionals as we uncover the stories behind the spaces that shape societies, past, present, and future. Today, there's a certain amount of cynicism and and kind of general malaise. Maybe many practices should come together and think about common goals, solving some of the major issues of the day. If I'm not mistaken, am I seeing like a wallpaper that is imitating books in some places? Yeah, I have to say, now we are in peace with this. But (laughs) (laughs) Subscribe now by following the link in the show notes, and let's unravel the secrets of our built world together. Spaces Podcasts. Go beyond the everyday, because spaces shape society. So we have our problems with complexity of the buildings, right? The buildings are complex. The codes are complex. Then now we have a problem with the system, this, this design, bid, build, linear system that sort of puts the design team and the building team on opposite sides of the fence, inherently conflicted, constantly in competition with one another rather than collaborating. What's our third big problem in the industry? Communication. We use a variety of means as architects and as engineers to communicate information so the contractor can build. 
And traditionally it was with drawings and specifications. And again, for people who may not know, drawings describe geometry, the size and shape of things. And specifications describe things that are better described by words, such as what color paint am I gonna use on the walls in this room? How do I mix the paint before I apply it? And how many coats of paint to apply? Those are easily described with words, whereas the size and shape of the room is better described by a drawing. These days, of course, the computer is with us. And the computer has basically replicated or duplicated drawings, which are, think about a building. Buildings are in three dimensions. Drawings are on sheets of paper, which are two dimensions. So how do you describe a three-dimensional building in two-dimensional drawings with difficulty? We have found ways to do it with uh, drawing techniques, but it would be far better if we could do it in three dimensions like buildings really are. And that's now possible with BIM or 3D CAD. We're able to now with the rise of fast computers and better software, we're able to describe buildings in three dimensions. That's all really good, except even then the software that, and this is, this is amazing. The software the architect uses, Mark, is different from the software used by our engineers and different yet from the software used by the contractor. And they all communicate to a certain extent, but not all the way through. It's as if every time I send a drawing by electronics to a contractor, half of the information is missing. And they have to either guess or ask me again, what was that information? And that, why is that? Why, why haven't the software companies solved this? Remember, we all started to form our own separate societies, the AIA and the AGC, and the engineers have their own societies. The software companies grew up serving all of our different groups because there was no one group, Mark, that represented the building industry. So that is a great big problem in our industry. It's as if I'm speaking English and you're speaking Spanish and the contractor's speaking German. We can understand some of each language, but not enough to actually fully collaborate. So communication is the third big issue that plagues us and, and will continue to plague us the more complex the buildings becomes. So that's the third big one. And all of these three things, the complexity of the work that we're doing, the conflict with the contractor, and the difficulty in communicating clearly to all of, all of the people that design and build buildings means that the time I have to spend designing has gotten squeezed down almost out of the picture. Many architects that I know rush through schematic design in order to save their time for checking their drawings and making sure that they don't have conflicts, or they save more time for during construction to answer the contractors innumerable thousands of questions. Design has suffered with this. And as a result, design has become superficial, defensive. Design becomes safe instead of thoughtful. What do I mean safe? Well, I designed my last school building this way and it seemed to work out okay. And I'm in a hurry this time because I don't have much fee and I've got a tough contractor. So I'm gonna just more or less follow that same design that I did the last time. Maybe change out the colors a little bit. Stylistic, design becomes stylistic instead of innovative. 
if you pick up any architecture magazine or go online and read it these days, you will find the latest whiz-bang building designed by some black cape architect. And those are the, the stars that has wiggly walls or some special feature that looks cool and that mostly is distinguished because it's different. Is it better? I don't know if it's better, but it's different. And it's like fashions and clothing. They come and they go. So good design, really good, thoughtful design, Mark, I believe is timeless. A year from now, 10 years from now, it still looks good. And 100 years from now, it's cherished. We've lost that. And our society has lost sight of that. People need to be reminded that good design can lead to a nobleness in our society. Uh, we want buildings that make people feel good to live in them, to work in them, to look at them. We want them to work well, sip energy instead of guzzle it. And we want buildings that will not fall apart in 10 years or 20 years. We want better performance from our buildings, just like we want better performance from our automobiles or our computers. And we're not delivering on that. And design, it's not only performance, it's how the building responds to the neighborhood. Does it fit in with the neighborhood? Is it a place where you want to be? Good buildings make me feel good. And we've lost that because we're so distracted by the three big C's, complexity, conflict, and communication. Okay, Patrick, you have me very stressed right now. <laughs> it, it sounds pretty dire that we have a profession an industry with, with these three big, big problems, complexity, conflict, and communication. Now I understand why we're calling this season reimagining the building industry. Everywhere we turn, there's, there's an issue that we need to solve, and it all comes down to those three Cs. Tell me, Patrick, there's got to be a way out of this. <laughs> yes, there absolutely is. Uh, it would be a, a terrible trick to play on uh, you and your listeners to lay out all these problems and say, so long, good luck. Yes, there are solutions to every single one of these. If you stick with me, those will all be revealed. But there is not only a way through this, but there is a way for the building industry and the practice of architecture to be transformed in ways that I couldn't have imagined when I first began to encounter these problems. Yes, there are great solutions out there waiting for us to unpack them and uh, begin to transform the way we work and the, and the way the built environment is going to perform for society in the future. As we reveal the solutions to these problems in the next episodes, super excited about this. Uh, what are the lessons that we should take away as we wrap things up here? It's kind of a bitter pill, but it's there, if there's a silver lining. The three big C's, complexity, complexity of buildings and complexity of the rules and the regulations and the codes that we have to follow make it ever more challenging for the designer and the builder to comply. The second lesson is that the conflict that's set up between the design and the build side of building, and you need both, is something that we have to resolve and turn conflict into collaboration. The third one is that the way in which we communicate information between all members of the team, not only the designer to the contractor, but the contractor to the subs and to the supply chain needs to change, needs to evolve to keep up with the first two, the, the complexity 
uh, can only be resolved with better and better communication. And those are all quite possible as we'll learn in the coming sessions. To continue the story, come back next week for the next episode of Build Smart, where we'll begin talking about solutions to the three C's, starting with the transition from 2D drawings to BIM and the challenges of coordinating a project. Architecture is like music. The architect has this wonderful position of being able to compose the music or to design the building. And the architect has everybody's music in front of him or her. And as buildings have become more complex, Mark, that's the challenge that we're facing. Imagine this, you have an orchestra maybe of 100 people. Well, uh, what if you have to add, because we have new inventions in our building world, now our orchestra is a thousand people. It's difficult for people to even see the conductor. How can you continue to coordinate with drawings and hand gestures to such a large group? Thank you for listening. Season two of Build Smart Podcast has been made possible in part by Building Smart International, the worldwide industry body driving the digital transformation of the world's built assets. Learn how Building Smart International is impacting our world and how you might get involved at buildingsmart.org. This podcast is a Gable Media production and is produced by Demetrius Lynch Jr. Gable Media is the home of curated thought leadership for an audience dedicated to building a better world. You can listen in, subscribe, and find more content like this from our network partners at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris Owners of Level Studio Architecture are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then you know in your head you've rooted like oh i'm connected to these people like long term the process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges demanding meticulous planning flawless execution and unyielding resilience i kind of hate the term because it's so overly used but i think everybody knows imposter syndrome and i think it's it's so real to this day i i, I don't know if it's with everybody but with me i'm always questioning like us? Can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging 
and chart your own path to architectural success.